really nice to have everyone and especially have Miss Susan open us with the word. Um, before we go further, um, if you have your Bible, um, you know, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is where we are lingering a little bit um, on Sunday mornings. We are, we are going and taking a very slow path so that God would speak to us. There is no rush for us in, in taking this, uh, you know, any um, faster. Uh, we wanted to soak these words. And so um, uh, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, and also uh, if you have your notes, you can sit back, relax, and just like enjoy. This morning, Miss Sarah was saying that uh, we can all have our coffee and tea in our hands as we are listening to the message. So this is a blessing to just have something very casual, um, nothing that we need to feel formal about going to the presence of God. When we walk into the presence of God, He's going to take us the way we are. He doesn't need anything more than just us showing up. Uh, and so here we are, Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read only uh, the first uh, verse, set of verses from chapter 5, verses 3 um, to 7. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There is like that. This, this whole passage, the, the way it starts is so beautiful. Jesus is just like a sitting down to preach this message, right? But if you take the entire message um, from chapter 5, to chapter 7. That's what this message 5, 6, and 7 is where they call this as like a sermon on the mount, right? But if you take like a one, like a stretch to read these verses from the beginning of the chapter 5 to end of chapter 7, it would take you just like 10 minutes for you to read it, right? And the thing is that it I don't think any preacher, even today, would finish their sermon in 10 minutes. We, we, we take time to just like read and, and then talk and give like explanations and things like that. So I would call this like, a, you know, a meditation that Jesus had with his people on that mountain, right? And it would have been long, lot more. And that's why... Um, when we read it, we wanted to soak these words even further. And, and Jesus is starting by saying like a blessed, blessed, blessed. In, in other words, like these, these words in the original text is all about happiness, joy. But he's talking about like a, his people to have this like a lasting happiness. The, the word that he is using is makarias. Macarius is just a, a deeper, richer, rooted word for happiness. This kind of happiness uh, that we, we need to be longing for um, because this blessed state or happiness is a continuous state of mind, not a blip. 
that only lasts for a short time. When you watch like a, uh, some comedy movies uh, these days, you would feel that the happiness till the movie is ended or some conversation that would just end after uh, a while. You forget that conversation Jesus is talking about. When we live a certain style of life, he says that happiness that you're going to get by living this lifestyle is not just going to be a short term, it's going to be a long term, right? And so he's talking about like a eight conditions or attitudes that people of his kingdom should have to be happy, right? And I was thinking to myself, this word like a God bless you. People used to say that in, 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 uh, um, when when someone sneezes, people would say, God bless you. Nowadays, like uh, when someone sneezes, everybody walks away from them thinking, oh, my God, I don't want to be around this guy. I might get like a COVID. So this is just like, a you know, we, we don't have that kind of like a same kind of like a mindset uh, all the time because this is not a continuous state that we are commonly used to. Jesus is talking about what would keep us happy the rest of our life, right? So he's talking about like we've already seen the poor in spirit. Um, we, we took like a really long time to talk through where we take time to realize how we have nothing to offer to this God and he has just got everything. But when we get to that point of like opening and saying, God, I cannot do anything. You control everything in my life. There is nothing that I have is earned with my own strength. It is all what you have given it to me. That kind of like open, uh, you know, our heart to show him how we are empty. Because only when we are empty, he can fill our heart with his grace and his mercy. And we, we have seen about the blessedness of the mourning for our own sins and for the injustice that happens around us. We've seen the meekness. When we saw the meekness, we, we talked about like how Moses and David and all these guys were just like a standing firm um, with their conviction. We even saw like a men like a, you know, uh, President Mandela uh, and Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. King, all these men were meek because they never gave up on what they believed. They stood there to until they get like what that they were standing for is received. Then we saw about hunger and righteous, um, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we submit ourselves to Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us this hunger and thirst and longingness to, to, to be right with God. So all those things we have seen, we are on the fifth beatitude. The first four beatitudes are usually the ones that are talking about like internal, our heart related, what we need to be doing with ourselves. The next four is talking about like what we do impacts the people that are around us. There was one time Napoleon, um, when he was ruling the, the, the kingdom, um, a, a man, a, a boy, right, um, who was working in his kingdom, in his uh, palace, uh, he, he stole some stuff 
from him, not just once, twice, right? And he got angry, right, over all these things, and he was ready to pass a judgment over this boy that has stolen twice from his palace. And um, uh, one morning, as he was sitting down, he's ready to pass the judgment. His this boy's mother showed up, uh, and she approached Napoleon, seeking for the pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man has committed this offense twice, and justice demands death. That's what he says, right? But, the mother said, I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy, I plead for forgiveness. And then Napoleon replied, but your son does not deserve mercy or forgiveness. Sir, the, 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 the mom said, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And the, the mercy or the forgiveness is all I ask for. I'm asking you to just like a show some mercy to, to my son. Then the emperor replied, well then, I will have mercy. And he spared the mother's son. So this morning, as we are reading through this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In some versions it says, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy, we, we started seeing this last week, and I felt like I was rushing this topic a little bit, and that's why I wanted to slow down and just like a, go through this a little bit more deeper. I felt like a, I wasn't speaking about this topic with the conviction for myself. So, um, so you are like a repeat audience to some of the content, but I do have like a little bit more to give this morning. Um, so the, we, what we saw last week is that, um, the mercy that it, it means like a compassion or pardon. Um, it, it's like, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, uh, it, it just like gives us uh, a, a state to understand uh, the heart of God. If you think about it, the, the, the merciful heart, uh, the mercy is actually an attribute of God himself. And here God is saying, I wanted to pour this particular attribute upon you. I want to rub my heart with your heart. I want you to give and pour my sense of mercy with your sense of mercy. When our spirit interact with the God of this universe, we start to, you know, take his quality, his attribute, and apply it to ourselves. In John chapter 15, it says, abide in me, I in you. Here, Jesus is talking about like when we abide in him, when we get closer to him, when we draw closer to his heart, we start to feel the tug of his heart. We start to feel the 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 the, the, the voice of his heart, and we started to become like him in this earth, where we try to show the people the mercy, like a how he showed it to people. And uh, the, the, the thing is this, 
there, there is always a people make a mistake between grace and mercy. We always interchangeably use, we think that doing something good is actually mercy. No, the mercy is like, is not getting what we do deserve. The, the thing is, we make a mistake, like this boy made a mistake. He doesn't deserve uh, to be released from prison. He does deserve to be punished for what he did. But because the mother was pleading before the king, the king just gave a chance, an opportunity for this guy to be, you know, spared that morning. It's an attitude that we should have um, with just ourselves and the people around us. So we saw last week, why should I be merciful? There are four things that we saw. Number one, God has shown me the mercy. When we have plenty of this, so the thing is that when we have like a plenty of something, and it doesn't cost us anything, we will not have a concern to give it to somebody. Imagine this, uh, in your house, like uh, during this, uh, uh, you know, the times of Halloween, we buy this large, like uh, the, the number of candies that we give. So when the kids come and knock at the door, we don't have a problem giving a couple of candies when they say trick or treat, right? Or you bought like a, a dozen donuts and you're sitting in your office and you want to give it to somebody that are in your office and then they come and pick those donuts. We don't have a problem because you have plenty of that and it doesn't cost you anymore. You've already, that, that thing is already being purchased, right? But if someone comes and asks me, oh, Cyril, can I have your truck? I will have a problem giving my truck because this is the only thing that I have. So the mercy is, is the same way. When we realize that we have this in plenty and it doesn't cost us anything to give, in fact, being merciful to somebody helps us. And those are the four things that I'm going to be talking about. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. I wanted to take time to explain what we mean by we have it in plenty uh, with us. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35. I'm just going to read. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often Shall I, shall my brother sin against me? I forgive him up to seven times because in this time of the, 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 when the Bible was written that the Mosaic law wasn't at its peak. People knew, the Jewish people knew about the Mosaic law and that Mosaic law says that if someone does something wrong to you, you should forgive them three times. That's what the Mosaic law says. But after three times, you don't have an obligation to forgive that person. You can execute on the mistake that they have made. So here, Peter was trying to impress, saying to Jesus, 
uh, how often shall I shall my brother sin against me and forgive him? Shall I forgive him seven times? Really, what Peter is saying to Jesus is like, oh, I, even though I'm supposed to forgive him only three times, what about I multiply that by three and then add one more to it? He was just being generous, right? But Jesus was pouring the cold water on his conversation. He says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490 times in a given day. So those three times you forgive is actually in a given day. If someone does wrong to you three times, then you can forgive. And so he was thinking, if I forgive somebody seven times in a day, that would just like a treat everything equal. But Jesus is saying in a given day, 490 times that he needs to forgive a person who comes to him, right? And then he starts to explain the story. And I, I, and I know that we did this, uh, quite, uh, you know, a little bit last week. And I just want to read that verse from 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and the children and all that he had and the payment be made. That was just a common practice in those days. If you don't have money, you actually sell your children. And then if you still don't have enough money, then you sell your wife. And then you still don't have money, then you sell yourself. So that's a common practice in those days. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. The master could have said, okay, you want to pay all your debt? Let me give you a payment plan. You just can give let me give me $300 a month and then we'll see how it goes, right? But instead, the verse 27 says that the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt, which means he forgave them all, right? But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, just like how he begged before his master. This guy was begging him, right? Saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you all. This is exactly what he said a few minutes before, right? And he would not. He went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant 
just as I had bid it on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Jesus was explaining this parable to Peter, right? And first, when I read that, I thought, like a 10,000 talents, I just actually equated to $10,000, right? And then when, when I saw 100 denarii that the other servant owes him, I thought it was like $100, like $10,000 versus $100. I thought that's why this is so crucial. But then when I started to, you know, research this area, I found out, do you know how much is a 10,000 talents? means it is about 200,000 years of labor. It wasn't like a $10,000, right? It, it would have taken this man 60 million working days. This is like a, a large sum of money. Uh, and if I just take that and just like equated it to today's money, it's close to 3.48 billion dollars. He was owing his master 3.48 billion dollars in today's money. If, if I tried to service 4% interest on this amount, right? Because I'm a banker. I just wanted to put some interest because he's been owing this master. It would have taken five dollars a second and every second until he paid off 200 years worth of work, effort. We're talking about billions of dollars that this guy owed to his master. Then I went back and did some research on the 100 denarii. You know how much is it one denarii is today in the U.S. Um, you know, conversion? One denarii is $3.62, right? It's, it's pretty much close to $400 is all this other servant owed him. He, he wasn't able to forgive $400 worth of, you know, the, the uh, payment while he was forgiven $3.48 billion. What is Jesus is doing to Peter is this. Jesus is telling Peter, 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 you don't understand. You think that Forgiving seven times will satisfy this mosaic law. Is that what you think when you come to me with that kind of like an attitude? Let me tell you, there is nothing that you have done or the nothing that you will ever do will be counted against you. It's like $3.48 billion worth of money. I have forgiven. But instead, what are you doing? You're just like a digging on the people for, for something that they did so light. I have shown you the mercy. The, the reason why God showed us the mercy that's worth the $3.48 billion worth of today's money doesn't mean like we are good people. One time I was traveling in India. Uh, I was asking a pastor, what is the difference between the one who's saved and unsaved? Because this pastor was just like in my years 
talking about salvation, like he was beating his people in his church with this salvation message. I, 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 I'm not against that, but I'm just saying that sometimes we beat people with such strong messages, we, we miss out on, on the big picture that Christ has for you and me, right? And he, he gave me a long answer for that. I told him the only thing that separates the, the, the one who's forgiven, one who's saved versus unsaved, is, is mercy, is grace. That's the only thing that, that separates us. Why? Because it, it's almost like, a, you know, I heard this one preacher say, it's the salvation or our, our saving our life before Christ is like a, um, a one beggar telling another beggar where he got his bread from. You might have heard this. We, we are not that good people. We make mistakes. In fact, we make mistakes every day. And we deserve to be punished when we understand how much of mercy is shown to us. We will not have a problem showing this to somebody else that we run into. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. The second thing that we saw the other day, God commands us to be merciful. Micah, the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 8, it says that when this is the thing that Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In fact, in Hosea, he says merciful or being merciful is more important than worship. And he says, for I desire mercy and have and, and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than the burnt offering. In fact, Jesus talks about it twice when he was speaking to the spiritual leaders on how he doesn't deserve all the sacrifices. that He desire people to be merciful to one another. In fact, he gives it as a command. The first one we need to give because we are given. Right. The second one is that Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 46. If you have your Bible, just turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Here, Jesus is talking about uh, to his people, and he is actually inviting them. Um, Matthew chapter 25. Just a second, I'm going to get there myself. Matthew 25. Perfect. Got it. Matthew 25, verses 34. Right? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you 
who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, and welcomed you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, you did it to the one of the least of these my brethren, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick, and in prison you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Why is this, this, this passage so important? Jesus is not suggesting that we should be merciful to people. He is giving it as a command. It's a commission. We need to look at people and as, as they are, like there are times that we drive around the, the, the freeway or drive around the, the neighborhood and we see some people standing there with a board in their hand saying, I need money. I need food, I need work, I need to take care of my family. A lot of times we pass by with a judgment. Oh, these guys are going to take this money to buy drugs. In fact, one time, um, Joyce uh, Myers, she went to a, a music concert. And it was a Christian music concert. She was standing in the line and she knew the people who came that they were all probably part of some church that came to visit or to listen to that music. And she said there was a young girl who was just like a begging people for arms. And they were all turning their faces the other way or pretending like they're talking to their next person. And this girl was just like a going up and down the line asking people for money. And she said what saddened her heart was nobody took time to put some money because they were all passing judgment thinking she's going to use this money to buy drugs or use it for things that doesn't, you know, um, qualify for their money to be spent. What God is saying is this, it is not your job or my job to pass the judgment over people. Imagine if we are the ones 
or begging for the alms to somebody. We want that mercy. It doesn't matter how that person's going to spend that money. It's between them and the God. It is your job not to pass judgment, but to show mercy. It's a command. That's why we need to be merciful. And, and, and the third one is that, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy cowers over judgment. There was this one time Jesus was uh, uh, preaching, right? When he was preaching, and, and, and what happened was like, uh, while he was still preaching to the people, the, there was like a leaders of this uh, um, the, the city were just like a coming by and they were disturbing in the middle of his preaching. They wanted to get the, Jesus's attention at this point in time, right? And so they came by and they were saying to him, Master, Master, look at this girl. She just like committed an adultery. And Jesus was, for, for, you know, stopped preaching and he started to write on the ground. And they kept insisting on him, saying, you, 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 do you understand this woman? We caught them, caught her while she was doing this act. And Jesus turned around and told them, if anyone doesn't have, haven't done any sin in your life, let him throw the first stone. Oftentimes, we pass judgment on people and God says, it is a mercy that covers all the judgment. And when he raised his head up, there was absolutely nobody that was left. And he just told that woman, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Oftentimes when we make mistakes, we want forgiveness. But when others make those mistakes, we want judgment. And Jesus is saying, the mercy will cover over judgment. And then the last thing, and the reason why we wanted to have this mercy in our life is because it it just uh, uh, brings a happiness to our soul. We saw two verses, Proverbs chapter 14, verses 21, where it says, if you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. In, and Proverbs eleven seventeen says, the merciful man does good for his own soul. The Bible says your own soul is nourished. That's what it means that when we do something right and good for the people, our heart starts to feel that mercy and that, that, that joy is just like it restores our own heart. When you're walking by, you just like to give some help to the person that's around you. You will know that happiness. You will feel it in your life. We saw one time uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, how David, after 13 years of running around, and he was running for his life from Saul. And at the end, uh, he had a chance twice to kill Saul when he was sleeping, but David did not. Instead, he showed mercy. And that's why the Bible says that David was shown mercy the rest of his life. Now, having said those four things, now we're going to move into 
um, this place where we talked about how do we practically apply this to the people around us. There are four scenarios that we will talk about very quickly. I did talk about it a little bit, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper in this space. And that's why I wanted to take time to talk through this. Be patient with the, with the people who make mistakes. There are always people that are irritating us. And we saw last week the number one person that can irritate us and take us out on the edge is not the people outside. It's our own family members. It's our own husband and wife that can just get on our nerves. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2, make allowance for each other's fault. The number one place where we need to show mercy is for the people who are at home. We have to live with them the rest of the life. And so the thing is this. I gave a little bit of an example, but I, I just wanted to get a little bit deeper in that space. In the ancient architects, one of the the well-known architects were Egyptian architects, that they would build this pyramid. If you even see, even today, those pyramids that were built like thousands of years ago are still standing. You know how they solved these problems in those days? They actually put a wide foundation. Before they build a pyramid, they would build a large foundation, the space they would go for miles and miles and miles for their foundation to be laid first, right? But in the modern day, where we wanted to build this mega tall buildings, we don't have the luxury of building a large foundation. We cannot go sideways for miles to have our foundation. Think about New York. New York has all these tall buildings. They cannot go for miles to lay the foundation, right? And when those um, restrictions were faced by the architects, they were looking for an answer in the 20th century for building these tall, you know, high-raised buildings. But did you know that Bible has a solution for this problem? 2,000 years ago, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually had an answer for this problem, right? And he tells a story in chapter 7, before he finishes the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about, like uh, in, in chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. What rock is he talking about? It's not like a rock that you, you cannot go and build a house on top of a mountain where the rocks are. That's not the rock that he's talking about. When we start to dig the, the uh, ground, the first place that the people would start to see is called a topsoil where 
there are soil that they would pull out. As they start to dig through the soil, then they will get to the second layer, a third layer, and a fourth layer. Each of these layers have uh, a certain name. And then they will run into a gravel, like a broken stones, right? But if you start to dig deeper, you would find what they call as a bedrock. That bedrock is a rock that is solid rock that will not move because of the weather conditions. The rock at that point in the ground is well tested. It's not going to shift because of the, the hurricane or the, or the rain or the wind and things like that. It has over the years has formed some solid state that it's not even shakeable, right? When the builders starts to find the bedrock as they are going through and drilling through to put the foundation, the moment that they find the bedrock, they know they have reached a solid state. And in the solid state, they can actually drill a hole and put a pipe in and put the foundation on that solid rock right now. When they put the foundation on this bedrock, then when something happens to the environment that they are living on, that bedrock is not going to move. It's going to hold on to those pipes so strong that the building will stay for a longer period of time. In our marriages, it is something that is equitable to this very same state that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He is saying, when you want your family to be strong, when you want the relationship that you need to have in your house to be strong, right? Don't build your house with a shallow relationship. Don't stay in building your house on like the things that you see their appearance. Oh, she looks beautiful. Oh, he looks handsome. Oh, he has muscles. I mean, those are like a shallow stuff. Those are like a topsoil. Jesus is saying, go ahead. I know there is a topsoil that you're going to have, but dig deeper. Go to the next layer of your relationship. And in the next layer of the relationship, you may have arguments with your spouses and your children. No problem. Dig deeper. Go to the next layer. Oh, there is a gravel out there, some broken stones out there, some brokenness out there. Only when you start to live with a person in under the same roof, you will find there are some gravel that you're going to find in their life that are cracked up. Not everybody is perfect. Not one of us is perfect. We all have mistakes. Every one of us have gravel underneath. Go ahead, start to dig deeper until you find the bedrock for your family. What happens at that point is that even when you make a mistake, 
Even when the things around us, the family goes through a turmoil, there is some kind of like a external issues with the funds or the money not there or the kids taking drugs and, and the things that are broken in your marriage or your the lives of your children. If your foundation is stuck on that bedrock, then you will not be moved because you will not give up on your marriage. You will not give up on that relationship. You will not lose that relationship because of some shallow mistakes that are being made. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the mistakes that your spouse or my spouse will make. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that your foundation has to be on the bedrock for us to have a strong foundation. And the thing is this, our family is no different than the, the foundation that Jesus is talking about. Let's move forward very quickly. I'm running a little bit slow. The second one, help anyone that's hurting you. There are people these days, when you open up uh, the, 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 the TV, we are finding so many people are hurting each other. So many people are hurting themselves without food, without a place to stay, without a job right now. What, what just bothered me is that a couple of weeks ago, I just received a call from SEDC, which is South Carolina Department of Corrections, right? And they talked to me about a man who was killed in Lee Correctional. And at that moment in time, the family had actually reached out to the Department of Correction and said, can we have the pictures? Because the, those pictures were uh, talking about, like that they were talking about were the moments that they spent time when we had taken them um, for one of those uh, back-to-school services where the kids went there and just like... Uh, um, had a great time with their fathers in labor. And, 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 and the thing is this, that particular day, so I started to remember that day. And I was looking at these pictures of this kid having time with the father. That particular day, what happened was that the food was supposed to be ordered and we were supposed to be wrapped up by 11 o'clock, right? But because the food hasn't come, we started to have some games uh, with, with the kids because the food wasn't delivered. And the one who was supposed to pick up the food wasn't showing up. There was some communication gap. So the kids had fun till one o'clock that day. Many of you on this line would remember because you were there in that room on that day. And as that, uh, day was getting wrapped up this girl as she was leaving she was sobbing and crying and she didn't leave, want to leave her daddy and and we i was standing actually next to this baby girl and the mother and the mother said she has some issues she could not come all the time into the prison even for the visitation she could not come and so this baby girl at the age of 5 or 6 she was seeing her father for the very first time. 
At that point, we did not knew that that couple of hours is all that girl had in her entire life to spend with her father. And they never had a chance to go back and see that daddy. And now he's killed. He's no longer there. And the only happy memory that the baby girl had was that day that she spent with her daddy. And the thing that just like broke my heart into a million pieces is this. Sometimes, you know, when the, when the people around us are hurting, we don't really see, we don't see the hurt from their perspective. We are always seeing the hurt from our perspective. We think, oh my God, this guy is just like a made poor decision. That's why he's spending time in prison. He deserved to be there. And we can say all kinds of things about this whole scene. He made a mistake and that's why he was spending time. That's exactly what a normal secular thought process is. But think about it from the Heavenly Father's perspective. This baby girl does not have her, her father anymore. She loves her father. And, and the thing is this. When we see certain things that are happening around us, we need to start showing mercy. Even if they have made mistakes, there are people with the emotional needs, people with the financial need, people with the physical need. What God is doing is He is watching us and watching our attitude when it comes to, you know, seeing the hurts around us. Romans 12, 8 says, Do everything with a cheerful heart. I don't think the cheerful heart is a problem for Americans. I don't think we have that problem at large. In fact, we become more generous during the, the month of November and December. We wanted to give somebody turkey. We want to serve in soup kitchen. What I'm saying is that the cheerfulness that the Bible is talking about has to be year-long cheerfulness. And that's why the message version says, if you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. It has to be our lifestyle. When we see somebody who's hurting, our heart needs to just pour back to them. If you see uh, while driving on a freeway, somebody is stuck, make an attempt to see if there is anything you can do to help them. If there is someone who is hurt and, and just need help, you know, extend your arms and legs because God is a merciful God and He is expecting us to show the mercy. There is a benefit for being mercy to somebody. Uh, it was one time um, we were doing an event in Lee Correctional. There were two kids that came to visit their father. But unfortunately, on that particular day, when they were going to see their father, 
the father had made some mistake in that week and he was put in a lockup and the warden of that prison said, oh, I cannot allow him to come to a general area. He's a threat. We cannot have him. But while we were having the negotiation going on inside the prison, those two boys outside were crying because they had come from far away to see their dad. And there was a lady sitting next to him. She was an officer at one of the prisons in Kersha. And she was talking to them and she was helping them to say, oh, don't, you know, um, lose your heart. You can come back and see your dad. She was trying to encourage them. But you know what? At that point in time, she wasn't realizing while she was talking to those boys, she was actually talking to herself. And, and the thing is that she was, she was adopting a kid from Atlanta. She went to pick up that baby and the father of that kid refused to give that baby to her. And she was broken in her heart and she didn't want to even go to work. And she was angry with God and God was actually working on her heart more than the heart of those two boys. And she said she felt for the First time the healing began to happen in her own heart. When the presence of God is in the midst, He's going to touch everything that you are touching. When you are touching somebody with that mercy, He's actually touching you with His mercy. His nail pierced hands are touching you while you are touching someone else at that moment in time. Job 42.10 says, when Job prayed for his friends, Job's iniquities were removed. While Job was praying for somebody else, Job was feeling the presence of God in his life. Number three, we need to be praying and helping the people who are hurting us. We need to forgive those who hurt us. There are so many times when we open this TV, this news channels and radio channels and all these things, they have verbal attempts against Christianity and the Christians. All these people are just talking, you know, constantly offensive things. They, they don't have a problem talking about our Christ. We need to, you know, sometimes that those are like a very generic that I'm talking about. Sometimes it hurts, hurts us. It brings us home. We, we saw last week on how when, when people are hurting us and how we need to be dealing with them. We saw a verse last week. If you have your um, notes, uh, you know, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, where Paul says, Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another and curse each other or even be rude. This verse, this week, has ministered to me. There was like a moment in time I was losing my patience and God was just reminding me of this verse to be kind. But the thing is this, I have two simple questions for you who are listening to this message this morning. Have you forgiven yourself? Sometimes the offense is done by us. There was a man I met, and he was in a gym uh, some years ago, and someone was irritating him. And uh, he was uh, 
taking steroids to prepare for a competition. And when he was saying certain things, it just angered him. And he pushed this man to a corner and beat him. Unfortunately, that man died. And he had two young kids. And minutes of losing his patience costed him 30 years of prison time. And I met him after he spent 30 years in prison, right? And I was talking to him. And here's the one thing that he told me. He said, I know I have paid for what I have done wrong. But, Cyril, I'm not able to forgive myself. Even now, it is just haunting me that there are two kids that are growing up without their father. And the thing is this, I was able to pray with this man and I was able to help him through this, but it is a, it's a constant battle that he's going to go through, but God has already worked in his heart and he is healed. And today he is now a worship leader. He is released from the prison. He is, uh, 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 you know, leading others into healing in a church in one of the churches in the Charlotte area. What am I saying? The first person that you need to forgive is you. If you haven't forgiven yourself, then you won't be able to forgive someone else. And let's talk about the offenders, whoever hurt you or you're having like a trouble forgiving. The, there are four practical ways that I wanted to give it to you this morning. Number one, write down the names of the people who have hurt you the most. Pray for them and trust. Number two, pray for them and trust God to deal with them because the Bible says vengeance is mine. Then the third thing, stop talking about them in a unkind or negative ways because if you keep on talking about them, it's going to stay in your mind fresh. And number four, you know, Pray and ask God, if you've done all the three and you're still not able to forgive, ask God to change your heart so that you will be healed from the mistakes that have been made to you. And number four, I've talked about four kinds of people. Number one, I talked about your own family members that needs forgiveness. Number two, I talked about the people that are hurting around you. Number three, the people who have hurt you need a second chance in their life. And number four, you know, we need to love the unlovable, the unpopular. These are the people that dress differently. They speak differently. Or the people that you want to stay away from. And, and the thing is this, a lot of times, you know, what happens is that, you know, our heart you know, gets into this place of like so much of aversion to that person. You don't really want to talk to them. You want to take a revenge on them. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, it's talking about Jesus spending time with the tax collectors in their house, in Matthew's house. He was a tax collector at that point. And he was spending time and the Pharisees were asking, why does the teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? 
And the reason why they were saying that is there was a very real reason that tax collectors in those days, right, if the if the order comes from the emperor to collect one denarii from people, from every household, these tax collectors would not just collect one denarii. They will go and collect two denarii, sometimes five denarii, sometimes ten denarii. And they keep the nine and only pay one back to the emperor. And that's why they were disgusted. There were people that uh, they don't want to be around. These are the people that you may have and I may have uh, different opinions. These are the people that may be living a lifestyle that you may not agree and I may not agree. This may be people who are not living in a heterosexual lifestyle and you may have a problem with that and I may have a problem with that. You know what has happened in these days? The social media, we, you know, we are connected more ways, you know, now than 20 or 40 years ago with this internet and social media networks and all these technologies that send instant messages. But you know what is a problem with all these things? They, they, there was, there is a, a huge disconnect that's been created in this country. And, and that's because we only want to associate ourselves with our like-minded people. And, and we, what they call this is a, the, the social media has taken so much of toll on the people bridging the social capital has become one of the biggest socio-economical issues of this nation. And, and the thing is that we are refusing to listen to the other party's uh, information. If someone says uh, these cows are black uh, or these cows are brown, these cows are, are white, and we actually want to listen to that particular part of our conversation. We are not open enough to listen to the other people's views. It's very unpopular in our circle. And because of which, we are always looking at the other people's network with aversion. In fact, you know, the biggest issue that this nation faces is the fact that we don't want to go away from our network of association that we have. And God, at one point, when we die and go to be in heaven, we're all going to be on one side. We're not going to be separated based on our color, our creed, our religion. We are not going to be separated based on our, our, our values in the political system. We are going to be judged based on, our mercy is based on what we have done with our Savior. And the thing is this, we need to be open enough to forgive and accept the people that we are not able to tolerate. That kind of a lifestyle is so very important for us today. And Jesus has done it so beautifully on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, 34, one of the greatest verses in all of Bible is this verse. 
Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, he was saying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they are doing. Jesus was pleading for those men who were spitting on his face, blinded his eyes and beat him and asked him, now tell us who beat you. The ones that were beating slashed him with 39 lashes of beating to a near death. While all those things were there, Jesus was speaking from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. The mercy that Jesus is talking about in this beatitude is not an option. This is not an option. This is a command. Jesus wants us to, you know, show mercy to our family members. Jesus wants us to see that we pay compassion and attention to the people who are not able to help themselves. Jesus wants us to release control over the people that have hurt us. In fact, in one of the places Jesus says, uh, you know, if you have a brother that has something against you, it's not you having something against them. It's the brother having something against you. Leave your offering in the altar. Go and make yourself Reconcile with that person before you come and pour the, this, uh, you know, gift or the offering on the altar. This is exactly what we saw last week when we were reading through this thing. You know, that song that we saw, the life of Rene and Eric that we saw, that he was not able to, she was, the mother was not able to forgive this man up until Jesus gave their heart a, a small twist that they were able to then get connected with Eric inside the prison and how God healed their heart. Sometimes uh, the people that we want to forgive don't deserve it. I'm not belittling what they have done to you, but God says uh, that you and I have received over $3.48 billion worth of mercy in our life, and what they have done is probably worth $400 worth, that we need to be able to forgive and release them from our life, that we will be nourishing our souls. As we go into the communion, before we take the communion, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Before we go in taking the communion, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment with God and ask Him if there is something in your life that you haven't forgiven yourself. And you want to get right with God today. This is a moment. This is a day. This is a time that God wants you and me to open our hearts before Him and just let Him do the, the healing, begin the healing. You may not be able to forgive somebody else that has done wrong to you, but right now, lift all their names before the Lord. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and just get right with God before we leave this service. 
The Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't want any of us to leave this line with an unforgiven heart, with a heart that hasn't forgiven us, and the heart that cannot forgive somebody else. Some of these may not be easy to forgive. Some people have done a lot of wrong things, but you know what? We have to release them. We have to release them from our life. We don't need to carry them on our back. That heaviness, the burden that you were carrying, we wanted to release them. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning. God, we are sorry for the things that have made your heart hurt. We wanted to leave this room, this call, with nothing but a lightness. Father God, we wanted to throw that under your feet. We don't want to carry this heavy burden in our hearts any longer. God, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, if you're reminding of the people's name to any of my brothers and sisters on this line, Father, we pray right now that you will just like a remove that burden out of our hearts, Father God. The Bible says, God, that when two of you on earth agree on one thing, the Father in heaven will do it for their sake. God, we are in agreement right now to release the person that's just caused so much of grief in our heart. God, we don't want to carry our own burdens anymore. We want to leave them at the cross. Before we take the communion, Father, we want to get right with you. God, if there are things in our life that's not pleasing before you, we want to leave them before your presence right now, Father God. As Miss Sarah comes and leads us in prayer for the communion, I want you to be in this prayerful mode as she leads us this morning. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Amen. Matthew chapter 26 verses 26 says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Go ahead and take the elements of bread. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Go ahead and take the elements of drink that you have. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning. In giving you thanks for what you have done for our life. Father, give us the mercy. Fill our hearts today. With something that only you can fill. Father, we are emptying our hearts, Father God. We wanted to see you glorified in our life. Help us, Father God, to, to beat the heart's beat for what beats your heart this morning. Father God, we wanted to feel your mercy. We wanted to rub on your mercy this morning. Abide in us, Father God. Draw us close to you so we can actually smell the aroma of your scent in all of our lives, Father God. We surrender ourselves into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have an amazing rest of the week. Next week we will start on Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. And we will come back to that one. But in the meantime, have an amazing rest of the week. And, uh, you know, during this week, we are going to start the 25 days of Christmas. So, you know, if you have uh, those uh, traditions in your house, go ahead and open up and get that, uh, you know, stuff from your closet and put it out there. Uh, whatever the 25 days of celebration that you want to do, because it is worth it all because of our Savior. Hallelujah. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. See you next week. Okay, so